Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast to help you be the best you can be to grow your business, your relationships and personal life. Our conversations with thought leaders and everyday people will inspire you. My mission is to show how positivity helps us all live a more rewarding and meaningful life. Hello, I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel, host of Positivity Strategist. Thank you in advance for listening in, and you are in for a bonus show today. My special guest is the talented Ed Jacobson, PhD, MBA. We'll be discovering many of Ed's talents and strengths in our conversation today, but a sneak preview for 15 years, Ed has focused his talents in the financial advisory community. Ed introduced positivity and appreciative inquiry to financial advisors through his appreciative financial planning framework. Ed, welcome to Positivity Strategist. Well, thank you, Robin. I couldn't be happier or more flattered to be here with you. That's wonderful. So let me introduce my wonderful guest, Ed Jacobson. He's a psychologist, a business coach, a consultant and speaker. He's based in Madison, Wisconsin and lives there with his wife, Jody. Ed's professional life is rich and varied. He served as an academic, a community mental health executive, a consultant in one of the big global firms, and we share that in common, Ed. Oh, great. And for 15 uh, years, as I said, he's focused his talents in the financial advisory community. And there's more. Ed's a published author, and he continues to write, to train, coach, and speak on the topics of positivity, emotional intelligence, appreciative inquiry, and neuroscience, all of which we both share a great passion for. Mm. We know the transformational power of these sciences and perspectives. So, Ed, I know that you and I have communicated back and forth over the years, admiring each other's work from a distance, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we've complimented each other for our unique offerings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And today we get to have this time together to explore and to come up to date. But first... I would really love if you'd share how you first became aware of appreciative inquiry and positivity. Would you share that story with us now? Oh, of course. Um, I did some thinking about this. And, you know, um, I'll, the story is about how I first became aware of appreciative inquiry at the Organizational Development Network, ODN, National Conference in 1997, late in the year. Uh, I was thinking about how I might relate the story and say that, uh, you know, cultures and religions all have their creation myths. And I think people do too. And so I think this is my creation myth when it comes to appreciative inquiry and, and positivity and so on. So at that ODN conference, I sat in on, it might have been a, as much as a two to three hour uh, presentation slash workshop with David Cooper Ryder. Uh, relating to his work at GTE. So he had one or two of the GTE folks with him as well. And when David, I I was fascinated, of course, uh, because it was unlike anything that I had been trained to to understand and to deliver and, and think about. And so when he started to enunciate some of the basic principles of appreciative inquiry, of course, I was all ears. 
And when he said that organizations change or move in the direction of the first question that is asked, I tell you, that was a, a real transformation point for me. I, I felt like my head was spinning around, quite literally, um, the, the feeling of dizziness. And when I could put words to it, I realized that that was, for me, a deep truth. And it collided with how I had been trained as a clinical psychologist uh, and, and an MBA uh, to basically find what's ailing and um, fix it or segregate it or do something. But for heaven's sakes, let's, let's fix it uh, and move it out of the way in the interest of moving the organization forward. And, and organization also generalizes to clients, the psychotherapy clients, clients in group therapy and the like, that we had and were trained in a, a pathology focus and uh, didn't spend much time on focusing on strengths. And when I heard David say that organizations move in the direction of the first question, I kind of incorporated the notion of individuals as well. And I knew, I said to myself, oh my gosh, I think I've been searching in the wrong, wrong area and I've been trained to do things that just don't feel right to me. And this must be, this is what I'm, what feels right, rings true, feels right to me. And I immediately signed up for the training that he and Diana Whitney were doing in Taos that December, which was barely four weeks from the uh, ODN conference. So that's, I became aware of appreciative inquiry in a very big way uh, in that moment. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and of course, for those people who are maybe listening and learning about appreciative inquiry or hearing it for the first time, David Cooperada is one of the thought leaders in this space. And like you, Ed, I first became aware of appreciative inquiry through David as well. And that is such a profound influence. It really does shift. I can, I totally understand and appreciate what you're saying there it makes such an impact uh, and you know when I ever do when I'm doing my work in AI I like to think that I'm channeling David <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally get the fact that you know within four weeks you just thought I have to do this that's awesome yeah yeah, yeah it was and continues to be yes so if you think about that what were some of the other outcomes? You know, what did that then precipitate for you, you know, while you were training, you know, doing the, mm-hmm. the AI certi- certification? Yeah. Well, one aspect of that is that in the, in the four, pardon me, five-day training in Taos, I realized and I journaled about it a little bit afterwards and I said, if I don't do this work in whatever work I'm doing, if I don't bring this, to all of my work, then I really won't be true to myself. And that created in me um, a commitment and a vision and a drive to, to do that. It was, in a sense, it was my, um, my beacon. And mm-hmm. so that was very powerful for me. And it's continued to be, it's drawn me to that. And about a year and a half later, I met George Kinder, who's a, a, a fabled certified financial planner who created a life planning system. He basically brought life planning into financial advisory space 
and I became very closely allied with, with George, and I began to meet people through him, such as the, the folks in one firm that I'd like to share a story about in a moment, and that's how I met them. And through that, I began to meet other financial planners and advisors, and through that, I gradually realized, well, this is my, this is my space. Uh, this is my beat, as it were. And it's not only my beat, but I have a beat to bring to them, and it's the appreciative beat, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, well, it would be fabulous, actually, if you shared a high point story in the financial services sector. Absolutely, yes. So this firm, uh, the owners of which I had met at the, the training that I attended with George, have a small financial planning firm. There's about seven people, which is not atypical in the financial advisory space. And they wanted me to help them in a number of ways, help them as a team, help them chart their course and be an advisor to these advisors right away, right after the, uh, the training. In our, in our work together, I did many projects with them, and I used to meet with them for one day a month. And so that lasted for about eight years, and then I, I became uh, their client. They are my planner, our planner, and, and I've been in close contact with them professionally. So recently, they asked me to lead them in a day of preparation for a merger that they are considering pursuing. Mm -hmm. And so I was delighted, of course, for a number of reasons. I, I love them and I love being with them. And I also found it very exciting since I know the other firm. Also, I found it admirable that they wanted to make sure that everybody was aligned mm -hmm. about the history of the firm and what it stands for, how it operates, and what it aspires to in terms of if the merger, great. If not, we still have a glowing future. So I fashioned it as a, a play in three acts where in the first portion we did the history of the firm. And, and that was beautiful the way they portrayed it and carried it out. And then the current uh, strengths and value system of the firm, very, very participative. And then pursuing the details and the dream of a potential merger. And what if the merger doesn't go through? We still have a glowing future. Mm. And so it was wonderful for me to guide them in what they call an ed day. <laughs> uh, and, um, and it was great to, for me to see the 15 or 20 years of their history unfold in almost like a saga. And I was delighted to know, and I continue to hear, that the day was exactly what they wanted, what everybody hoped for, and more. And as, as you know, and as you feel, it's just great to be of service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, how marvelous that they, after all this time, the continuity was there so that you yes. could continue to partner with them. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could say a little bit about the appreciative financial planning Mm -hmm. model or process that you use. Would you mm -hmm. speak to that? Because that would be a value for us to know more about. Sure. By way of introduction of that, there's a standard sort of template or framework in the financial planning space called the six-step process. And it's actually uh, kind of a gold standard in a way, or at least a template 
that's been articulated by the CFP Board of Standards, which is the main regulation body for uh, for certified financial planners. Mm-hmm. And it the stages go from basically negotiating and initiating the, the contract uh, with the client to maintenance, what we might call maintenance or destiny. And so there's six defined phases. And what I did was to marry the four or five phase process of appreciative inquiry, depending on where you start, either the four or five D, four or five I process, mm-hmm. and married that with the uh, with the six step CFP board uh, process. And so what I did was to appreciatize the whole process. Mm. So that involves, of course, educating training planners as to what appreciation and positivity, what the thrust is, why, and help them experience that because that's the biggest convert. Mm-hmm. Uh, and showing them how, through tools and, and examples and practice, how to conduct appreciative or positive interviews at each phase, how the interactions go, including the sort of the back at the ranch consideration of the client's financial data, aspirations, goals, so that even that is done with an appreciative perspective. You know, what is the client's driving dream Mm -hmm. and so on, and then marry the financials to that rather than have the financials be in the lead. And and also I, I have a model called high impact client meetings, client review meetings, uh, that is plugged in there as part of the, the maintenance phase, so to speak, uh, or the delivery phase, as we would say. Uh, what I have found is a remarkable reception to that by people who at least become aware of, of the value and power of appreciative and positivity practices. And what I find is those that become aware of it find that it actually resonates with them very deeply, as with people who are introduced to appreciative inquiry in other channels. And it doesn't stop at the, at the office door, mm-hmm. that, that they, they can't segregate their appreciativeness, as it were, uh, and their positivity to the workspace. Uh, it permeates their whole life, much as I said to myself, as I noted when I first got trained was if I don't do this work mm-hmm. and parenthetically apply it to my own life, I won't be true to myself. Right, yeah. And Ed, what's your observation about what they really value about this way of engaging and developing the relationships with their clients and with themselves and as you say, it permeates their whole life? What mm-hmm. could you say to what you're noticing about, you know, what it is that they're they're valuing, the, you know, how it's different for them and yes. meaningful for them. Yes, that's a fabulous question. And by way of approach the answer, one has to remember that these are folks who are steeped in finance, steeped in linear models, regression models, financial models and history and numbers about how, mm. how equity markets perform and they've been trained to deliver a product to their clients, a, mm-hmm. uh, an investment portfolio uh, or an answer to a financial question or guide them through a divorce proceeding and so on. I think that there's a parallel between 
my response when I first learned to appreciate inquiry and theirs when they first learn about it. So many of them resonate and say, this is real. This is gratifying. This is the truth of how I want to interact with clients. Some say, this is how I do interact with clients, but I didn't know how to take it deeper and I didn't even know there was a word for it or a phrase for it. And rather than trying to put aside their financial tools and technology and expertise and mastery, they need to find ways and want to find ways to marry the financial part of their uh, skill set and, uh, and mastery with the more human, mm. interactive, present, authentic side. And there, it, there's not a Berlin Wall between them. Right. Uh, they are very successful, in my view, of almost seamlessly incorporating the two approaches or the two streams without necessarily, if we followed them around, we wouldn't necessarily say, oh, they're doing appreciative financial planning. Mm. We would notice that their interactions seem more authentic and genuine and deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the goals that the client articulates and the vision that the planner leads them, guides them to articulate feel real. And what we say is when you do appreciative financial planning or consider it as a, as a subset of life planning in general, the client benefits enormously. It's reciprocal. You enjoy the work more and you have a client for life. The client wouldn't think of going elsewhere. Why would he or she when this planner is a part of their is their trusted advisor and is a family advisor many times. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, it becomes, it's it's the whole context. It's just not focusing only on the financial piece. Yes. But it's putting it in, it's giving it a meaning within a context of the whole of life. And, yeah. you know, one of my favourite principles is, the poetic, what you focus on grows. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if uh, what I'm hearing is that if you, in this work that you're doing with the financial advisors, they're seeing the fact that they're focusing on the whole of this person's life and their energy. And after all, money is just a form of energy, right? So it really becomes much more meaningful. I mean, you're talking about it being real, Mm-hmm. So um, I can really appreciate that they would feel much more valued by their clients because of of what they're offering in terms of helping them articulate, you know, what it is that they value and where they want to go with it and how they might get there mm-hmm. and really live it into their into their future. So it's very relational, you know. Mm-hmm. It's about developing this this relationship that happens through the language that we use and through the context that we create together. That's what I'm hearing. And it's a great example because I've not worked, you know, in this area with people who had the specialty or the skill or the talent or the knowledge of finances before. Mm -hmm. So this is really fabulous. Well, thank you. I I enjoy it, I must say. And I, I make a couple of points to clarify to financial advisors about what appreciative inquiry or appreciative financial planning is. It's not an approach that says you have to disregard everything else you know about how people interact, 
what how relationships are and so on and you can incorporate it in any approach and think of it as as a mist or a, a large umbrella overlaying the whole process and the mist penetrates every portion of the process mm. and and you mentioned basically the the whole life and i often joke with them uh, and they get to joke that you're actually doing whole life planning yes. even though you're not necessarily offering whole life insurance yeah that's beautiful yeah so ed i'm curious what does positivity mean to you well i almost want to say how much time do we have <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I've given this question some some considerable thought over time, and you know it's a little bit in parallel with appreciative inquiry. It's it's a way of looking at the world and how the world operates and ought to operate, and the world includes not just out there, and not just within your company or firm, but within yourself. So positivity has to begin literally at home inside. Mm. And another way to look at it is it's an abiding belief system. And one of the beliefs in there is that the positive focus or positivity is is more effective and gratifying and it leads us towards greater well-being however you define it, mm. uh, organizationally, financially, spiritually, uh, relationally, uh, familially. So in a way of saying it it's also a sensible option, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the right it's the right place to place your bet. It's like the poetic principle: you have the choice, mm -hmm. and it's it's this is the best bet. And of course, it's a set of principles and processes and tools and practices and techniques. The beauty of which is that it's all research derived or or research verified. So it gives us and the client more comfort and sense of security that it's evidence-based. Yeah. And Ed, you know, I also think about it starts with the positive emotions, right? So what underpins positivity? And this is how I'm thinking of it. So we you know we recognize that we have positive emotions and those positive emotions, when we feel good, it leads to positive thoughts, to positive action, to positive dialogue. And so, as you mentioned earlier, it really does facilitate a sense of well-being, right? Of course. And we know from, I mean, one of my great heroes is Barb Fredrickson, and we know from her mm -hmm. work in positivity mm -hmm. that, you know, if we can increase this positivity ratio three to one, then over time we build this resiliency capacity to be able to deal with negativity and setbacks and bounce back far more readily than if, we, if we're not conscious or we're not aware that there is this positivity muscle that we can develop. <laughs> yes, I, I love that. And I am so informed uh, by, by Barb's work and her great book, Positivity. And I use, use that information all the time. And, you know, I've given this area a lot of thought about positive emotion and thought and behavior and vision and and so forth and I think the world of neuroscience especially recent contemporary mm -hmm. neuroscience and psychology and other branches of knowledge 
are starting to change my way of thinking about positive emotion as being the necessary starting place. Mm -hmm. Because so much that we're learning, uh, for example, the cognitive behavior therapists teach us that shifting the behavior, you shift the behavior and the thinking will fall in line and the emotions will follow. Mm -hmm. And so I don't look necessarily to begin with the positive emotion with eliciting that because it may be it may be difficult for some financial advisors who don't deal in the emotional space you might say and they need to try it mm. and sense the other person's reaction sense how it feels to them and so on so when i ask the question in my workshops do you need to uh, start with positive emotion or thinking or visualization or frame of reference or behavior, uh, I say the answer is yes. <laughs> so start anywhere yep. and you'll wind up everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And so how does integrating positivity or viewing the world through this lens play out in what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, that's truly a great question. And in a certain sense, it's almost a bottom line question when when push comes to shove. Uh, where are you? Who are you? And so this perspective, uh, which is wide ranging, as we both know, and very, uh, very total, uh, if we really think about it, it provides a kind of a gut check about am I being authentic? Am I actually practicing what I believe and practicing what I preach, if you put that word in quotation marks, mm. am I being congruent and consistent and authentic in that moment? And that's a very quick, um, that's a very quick process. It doesn't take a lot of analysis. I suspect it takes a fraction of a second. And we know in that moment or in that fragment of a moment, whether we're being authentic. And we have that, we have a choice as to how do we act in that time? Am I going to act from the better angels of my nature? Or am I going to make another choice in this road? I know darn well that that's a choice that has consequences and not very good consequences. Mm -hmm. However, we're all highly conditioned. And so it's, we don't always um, show the better angels are in nature or make that, uh, make that choice. So first I have to check with myself and be authentic and check about that. And then sometimes I need to pause. In fact, quite often I need to pause and think to myself in this moment, I don't know how or what, which direction to go in now. I'm just going to rest in this moment of silent space mm -hmm. and, and then choose my path in that moment. Am I going to be impatient in a conversation with a family member? Or am I going to look into what meaning they are bringing to the conversation and what they need in that moment and how we can move towards that and both get something that we deeply need? It could be with a client. If I have a moment of contagion, their anger, or at least I need to know that if they're angry either at me or in a situation that they are describing, Am I feeling anger? Mm. And if I am, what does that tell me? And how do I act in a way, how do I handle this in a way that's helpful for the other person 
and congruent for myself. Yeah. And by asking that question, I can tell you that that's a never fail question. Mm. If you can get the question out uh, to yourself, then you're going to most often mm. choose a better, uh, a more life-giving response. Nice. There's a quotation uh, that's often cited from Viktor Frankl, the Austrian psychiatrist who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. And he said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in, there's, in that space, there lies the opportunity to choose our response. And in that response lies our growth and our freedom. That's a lot to remember in that fraction of a second. But I think he's describing that in a very powerful way, that little moment in time when we have the opportunity to choose. And the idea of mindfulness and the idea of positivity and self-awareness and emotional intelligence is to freeze that space mm -hmm. or widen that space into which we can step with our most life-giving response. Yeah, I love that you link all those things together. And um, definitely we'll have a link to Viktor Frankl's oh, book in the show notes. So let me, um, let me just shift it a little bit now to, you know, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, Ed, but... What? How do you deal with people who do have a more of a default about seeing the world, you know, not from such an appreciative or generative or developmental place, but who mm -hmm. tend to think that they're on this planet to find the problems and be, you know, put their critical thinking hats on. All very valid, of course. Mm -hmm. However, you know, if they're predisposed to wanting to always show why things don't work, what advice or how have you counseled or, mm -hmm. or worked with people who do have that, that other more dominant view of the world? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great question and a really important question. And what I coach people to do is basically uh, what I do when I'm at my best, uh, when I'm confronted with uh, a chronically negative or a momentarily uh, going towards the negativity side in somebody else, in, in a group or wherever it may be. First, I do that quick gut check that I talked about above. Am I being uh, subject to contagion? Am I getting angry in response to that person's anger? Or am I having my own characteristic response, which is possibly to withdraw or to counter-aggress and so on? And that takes but a second or a moment in time. And then what I need to do, what I do next is to acknowledge the person's view that uh, not just this is what you're saying, but I, this is what I hear you saying and... I imagine that it's very upsetting to you or you're having this experience and so on. And, and that must be very uncomfortable. Words that are somewhat in that, uh, in that empathic area. Mm. And, and then, I, uh, then I wait because it's really important to let the other person process mm. what you're saying as much as it's important for us to process what the other person's saying and what we ourselves are feeling. And then... If I don't get a response in that, um, that, that I can grab onto, if I don't get a response that uh, guides me in a certain direction, then I will use that opportunity to suggest other ways of looking at it. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe suggesting, I wonder if there's another way to look at it, or I wonder what other ways we might look at it together. And 
And then in the longer run, if the person is chronically negative, and I get this so often with coaching clients, and including group coaching, that uh, a certain friend or colleague is um, chronically negative and acting as a uh, to spoil the uh, the positivity and yeah. holding the group back, or you just don't like their company, then I counsel people to limit their contacts with that person mm-hmm. and be be the best self that they can be in those limited contacts and learn to set boundaries or practice what boundaries you are able to set about what you will talk about, what, what you will talk about together, how you'll interact, and be true to those uh, principles and that boundary because otherwise you will you'll be perpetuating a negative cycle. Yeah, that's very practical. Mm-hmm. Um, very practical advice there. And again, you know, it comes back to where you're putting your attention, you know, if you're putting mm. your attention on the things that are de-energizing and not serving you, you know, how's that going to play out in the long term? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we can focus on the things that are helping us or serving yeah. us or a life force mm-hmm. or helping us be the best we can, it's definitely going to energize us. So it is it's the way we choose to look at things. Mm-hmm. But it takes... It takes learning, it takes self-awareness, all those things that you've spoken about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that self-awareness is a big part of it. It certainly is. And another thing that I do is modeled on what I learned from Jane Magruder Watkins, mm-hmm. who is, as you know, a great pioneer and a great teacher of appreciative inquiry and a very wise woman. Um, when somebody is answering every question with a negative response about their organization, for example, or their family, for example, So what about this? No, negative. What about when this happens? A negative response. And what about this scenario? Oh, no, that could never work, and so on. She'll stop at a certain point, not too far in, and say, you know, you've painted a real picture uh, very vividly of what isn't working here. Mm -hmm. That usually means that you have a picture of how it should be, how things should be. And I'd love to hear that. Can you paint me that picture? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really that's fa- thanks for bringing that to our attention. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, Ed, I would like to move on to what you have on your horizon. So what mm-hmm. what exciting things are you working on right now that you'd like to share with us? Yes. I'm glad to, <laughs> glad you asked and I'm glad to think along with you about that answer. Here are a couple of things that I'm very excited about. One is that I do a six-month telegroup, uh, which is called Positivity Skills for Professionals and Other Humans, so that <laughs> it doesn't really rule out, rule out anybody and it's not focused exclusively on financial planners. And I, I take five skills, and we do a deep dive into them over the six months where there's field work, you might say, and there's there's audio to listen to about the principles, and and then there's there's practice with their with, with themselves, with with their families and so on, and a group call. And it, people come to that because they know something isn't quite working in their uh, lives or at least could be working a heck of a lot better. And they think that positivity is the key. I think Barb Fredrickson, whom you referred to earlier, has really started something. I think she's really uh, started that ball rolling and people have heard that. And so it's wonderful to, uh, to almost graph the progress 
uh, through those six months and what mm. people are getting out of it. And I, and I love doing it. It's very rewarding for me. And so uh, I'm, doing that, I'm doing that kind of group and, and another kind of group, which is, uh, again, a telegroup, which is the ins and outs of and the experience of appreciative inquiry in everyday life and that's your work. And then, so they're two separate programs you're offering? Yes, okay. yes. The, the one is called Positivity Skills for Professionals right. and other Humans. And the other, I call it the PATH group, short for the PATH of Appreciation and Positivity. Beautiful. Okay. And we'll, yeah. we'll put some links too in the show notes. So. And then the, the, what's on the horizon is a very exciting collaboration that my wife, Jody, whom you know, and I and a mutual friend and colleague are, have embarked on, and we're calling it um, Leadership Mastery Toolkit. And it's, uh, it's a uh, comprehensive program by teleconference, self-paced learning, webinars, live Q&A, and so on, and individual coaching. And it's for leaders of organizations, uh, which can be small, medium-sized, that can be startups, where the owner knows or the, the leaders-to-be are being groomed uh, for really deepening their leadership capacity and leading their organization into full maturity or the next phase of its organizational life. It's very exciting for this to take shape and to see how comprehensive it is and how, in a sense, uh, sensible and integrated it is. I'll be, for example, my portion of it is, my track, if you will, is... Uh, executive mindset, mm. the relationship of our thinking to ourselves and to others and, and the skills we need and the tools we can use in that respect. And Tom's is about group communication, sales communication, uh, being in the moment with, with your group and with a prospect and so forth. And Jody's is an integration of positive approaches such as appreciative inquiry, of course, systems thinking and other other areas, and she's brought some brilliant tools uh, from from the integration of those areas. So people will really have a treat and some deep learning from hers as well as Tom's and mine. That's and awesome. We, so, yeah. so the the leaders who attend this program um, experience all three of those tracks. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, exactly mm. right. Yeah, yeah. And when might that be? When will that take place? Well, it's a sort of beta test at the moment. We're doing our our due diligence with regard to the markets, and uh, we'll be testing it out in the coming months. So I would say look for it um, before the first of the year, maybe in July, or maybe it'll be the partly in January, Great. or maybe it'll be uh, it'll be in January. But we'll we'll do it as the Supreme Court said in Brown versus Education <laughs> with all deliberate speed. <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow, you, um, you've, you've got your creative juices flowing, it sounds like. So yes, there's so many ways of bringing this appreciative inquiry and positivity in the world. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're, you know, you're doing it through in different contexts, you know, it's just, it's just exciting for us to be part of this in 2014 and beyond. Um, Ed, a final question. Is there any big conversation that you would like to see the world engage in? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the, what's the big issue that you would like to bring this appreciative mindset and look at how we can move the world in a direction where we believe that it's of greater service to humanity? Is there is there one big topic that you would 
be excited to be part of? Well, there's one that's ongoing, or at least the gauntlet has been thrown down by Marty Seligman, the so-called father of positive psychology. Mm -hmm. And after I articulate that, I'll, I'll refer to something that for me is a passion, and I think it's a big conversation, mm -hmm. and it might not be a worldwide conversation, but a very important one. So Marty has, in his book, Flourish, and in talks that he gives and teachings that he does, his outrageous goal is for 51% of the world's population by the year 2050 will have well-being. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. It's an outrageous goal mm. and, and vision. And unless we really put a marker towards something outrageous like that, we'll mm. just try to make incremental improvements. But we, when we dare to think big, as Marty does, and as we encourage and guide and teach clients mm -hmm. to do about their lives, their organizations, their families, then, then it's the simultaneity principle all, all again. We're, we move towards that. We find ways to move towards that energy and that light. Yeah. So, you know, what's the story we tell ourselves? What's the narrative we're living into? Yes. Yeah. And I know that he's doing a marvellous work in education and with different governments all over the world. Mm -hmm. I know in Australia he's done work with schools and with, with governments mm. in Australia, so it's um, fantastic. Yeah. Well, I would like to be part of that conversation too. I'm certainly yeah. out there. Yeah. Now, may I, may I say about the micro question that occupies my thinking and that I would love for there to be a conversation around and it might not be a worldwide conversation. It might be a, a scientific one, a conversational one in smaller quarters, but it needs to point towards uh, an outcome because I, I continually look in the world and at all the approaches, spiritual and scientific and practical, to really look for what's the, what's the turning point? What is the tipping point? What's the ingredient? that helps us to actually choose to exert positivity in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's the smallest question that you can imagine, as opposed to Marty's being extraordinarily mm -hmm. large. It's the micro mini question that perhaps neuroscience will help us with, positive psychology will help us with. It's really what turns the tide. We can say there are these practices that you can do and you can build up the neural networks and so on. You, you know, we can say you will learn these processes, but at the moment of truth, what helps us to show up? What turns tide for us? And I don't think we have the answer yet. I think it's there. I think mm -hmm. it's there to be thought about, and it's not a sum total of all the answers we have. I think there's a mystery there. Do you have an intuition about it? I think, I think it's a neuroscientific mm -hmm. one. Richie mm -hmm. Davidson, who's a a very esteemed professor here at the University of Wisconsin, locally, that is. And, and he has done extraordinarily pioneering work in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. He has a new book called The Emotional Life of Your Brain. Brilliant, a brilliant story. And, and I think it has to be at a lower level, at a deeper level uh, neurologically, mm -hmm. and it has to be teachable. Mm -hmm. Evolutionary, perhaps? Revolutionary. Revolutionary. Well, I love that micro question as well. Well, Ed, is there anything that you, else you'd like to say that I haven't brought up? Yeah. Well, you know, it's been a marvelous conversation from my perspective. And as you predicted, 
earlier, it would be more like a conversation or more of a conversation than an interview. And it really flowed for me and was provocative in the best way, uh, inviting me to think about things that I might not think about every day or in each moment. And so I just want to end by wishing, wishing you and this enterprise um, the, the very best of success. And I hope it contagious untold numbers of people. And even if it contagious a finite number of people, as we both know, it uh, ripples out from there. That's beautiful. So thank you for doing this really courageous and um, innovative work of the heart. That's very beautiful. Thank you, Ed. Um, I so appreciate that coming from you. And thank you for being part of this. Of course, I, I appreciate it. Okay. You can find the show notes and links to today's episode number four, Appreciative Investment with Ed Jacobson at positivitystrategist.com forward slash ps4 if you have questions or ideas that you'd like to hear discussed on upcoming episodes and possibly participate in our show go to positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast where you can submit your ideas or leave me a voicemail i will respond also you can be notified of new episodes by email links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows so grow towards your best